Today, Dr. Patrick will be speaking on spiritual economics, money to share, and money to spare. On behalf of our spiritual community, we extend a warm welcome to our first-time visitors and to all of the participants in this morning's celebration. Now please join us for 30 seconds as we ground ourselves in silence. There's quite enough love for all the world And in this very room There's quite enough joy for all the world And there's quite enough love And quite enough power To walk through our every fear for spirit, one spirit is in this very room, in this very room, in this very room. So I invite you in this moment to just take a, a, a deep breath. And as you take it in and let it out, just let it relax you at a deep level. And be mindful as we go along of that breathing. A breath, is the, as the Hindus would say, the Brahma, the breath of life, represents spirit or God. And it amazingly opens our hearts and our intuitive center when we breathe deeply takes us out of our heads. And so what I know in this moment is I recognize on behalf of each person here as well as myself that there is a one, there's one life. That life is spirit. That life is God. That life is present everywhere. There is not a spot where God is not. And so in that declaration and in that invocation, I invite that life, that one life, into my heart, my soul, my intuition, to my being, that it has full permission to have its way by means of me. That each thought, as I stand in this divine communication, this divine co-creation, each thought I impress upon it is even more potent and possible. And so I affirm and know that every good thing necessary to be expressed this day in service to spirit, in service to awakening each and every one of us into a, a more intimate relationship with that divine principle of life so that you and I may live and move and have our being in such an amazing way that the wonders and the, and the miracles that await our beckoning have an opportunity to appear, that we are truly here, have taken form to make the impossible possible. And so I support you in that, and I see that possibility, and I support every step necessary for you and for myself 
to move forward through and as in revelation and expression of that. I know this day is blessed in every good way. I stand in a tremendous gratitude. I stand in this moment abundantly blessed in my relationship with that presence. And I know that for you as well. I give thanks for our musicians, our volunteers, for the, all of our technicians, for the, for the technology that reaches beyond these rooms to people that listen to us on our podcast and lives are shifted and changed and transformed in, this, in the millions of small acts of devotion and service to the higher idea. I just give thanks. And together we say, and so it is. Oh. It really was really exhausting for me to do the first talk. I practiced a, a story about 20 times, and I didn't have a box of Kleenex up here. It was awful, I have to tell you. <laughs> Holy cow. I'll be ready for a nap this afternoon. But anyway, I just am so grateful to be here today with you. And, uh, you know, I'm grateful for, I'm grateful on a day like today to have wool socks that I can wear. I'm grateful for the men and women that developed long underwear long ago. I'm grateful for uh, Danny Bonco came and they cleared the snow early this morning. Okay. Now, this is Diane. I'm grateful for Diane, too. And, and you can't clap at, after everything I say, okay? Because then we'll never get through all this. But I appreciate your love. Because that takes about 10 seconds and 10 seconds. It's like, and, and she likes to do that. And she's really good at that. And we love you for it. I'm grateful for Diane. You know, it's, it's just, uh, uh, you know, we, and, and, and all the volunteers went down and helped at the mustard seed. And then Danny was telling me, Danny also leads that charge. And he went down and fed about close to 300 people, I understand. And it's such a joy to be able to, to do those things, you know, especially those random acts of kindness with strangers that we don't know. And so what I know about what we do here that I, I love and appreciate so much is that we, it's really a, all, of, all of our lives, if we really truly believe it, that our life is God's life and that it's not some mysterious thing that we're journeying to, but it's a present moment experience and that we understand that that divine presence lives within each and every one of us, then for me, one of the simplicities of spiritual practice is to ask myself when I'm in relationship or I'm in activity or I'm in my own thinking nature, is it drawing me closer to that relationship? Is it deepening me in that relationship? Because when I'm, in, when I'm deeply connected in that relationship, my thinking process, the opportunities in my life, everything changes. So for me, as the teacher Jesus of Nazareth said, seek ye first the kingdom, and all else shall be added unto you. And I think it's very much what we stand for is a tradition and a movement of, of, uh, and we've been celebrating Eric Butterworth's work in the form of uh, spiritual economics. And it's a a classic book on, on prosperity. Eric Butterworth was the leading spokesperson in modern times on practical mysticism that we are a mystical teaching. In other words, that there, there, there's, a, there's a presence and a power that is accessible to all of us that, that guides and directs, and we can develop that, that relationship moment by moment, day by day. He also was, for 50 years, the teacher of practical spiritual, uh, Christianity. He graduated from the Unity School of Christianity in Lee Summit, Missouri, which was about a 50-year uh, ahead of Ernest Holmes, uh, we're first cousins with the unity movement, but they were about 50 years prior to Dr. Holmes and, and uh, religious science. But he helped thousands of people to help themselves to a more abundant life by the study of application of truth. 
He possessed a unique ability to render the most complex metaphysical teachings in simple sound bites of awareness. He mastered the art of, of the brief essayist, of which he has written thousands and is often described as the 20th century Ralph Waldo Emerson. So there's a picture of a guy up there watering his money tree, little metaphor for us. You know, we've all heard the saying that money doesn't grow on trees. The next slide is a picture of, of, uh, of Reverend Butterworth. He was born in Winnipeg in 1916. And he trained, he actually was uh, studying to be a minister at Unity Village and World War II broke out, so he went into the military for a while. When he was done with that, he served as a, a chaplain, and he helped train uh, the medical corps. He returned to Unity Village, completed his studies, and was ordained a minister. And he established three ministries in his, his lifetime. He started out, his first church was in Pittsburgh. So Pittsburgh was his uh, step into it. He then moved to Detroit, where he built a, the Unity Temple. It's the largest Unity church at that time, where more than 2,000 people attended his Sunday services. And then he moved to New York City. He finally went to Broadway. And he spoke at Carnegie Hall. Anybody here over here at Carnegie Hall except me? How do you get to Carnegie Hall? Practice, practice, practice. That's right. And then he moved to Town Hall and then to Avery Fisher Hall, where the weekly attendance grew to several thousand people. You know, there's a time before we had podcasts and we had things of, of, that we could... You know, broadcast and, and capture information the way we do today. But he had an am amazing influence on our culture and bringing in these new ideas and perspectives about what the great teacher of uh, Nazareth had to share with us. He appeared on Oprah. He was the first unity minister to appear on Oprah and talk about his discover the power within you. And Oprah said, this book changed my perspective on life and religion. And Eric Butterworth, of course, teaches that God isn't up there. He exists inside each one of us, and it's up to us to seek the divine within. So it's a perfect fit for how we approach spirituality and how we create awareness around that. So I wanted to, this idea of money to share and money to spare is really, he had so many wonderful things. If you go on the Eric Butterworth, Google Eric Butterworth, there's a website de designated to him, and he's got all these great sayings there. And so money to share and money to spare was something that, that somebody gave me, one of my teachers gave me years ago and, and said, you know, use that one. That, that's a great little saying. It'll take, you, it'll take you far in your life. And I've always liked that. I have money to share and money to spare. Rather than say, oh, I'm broke. There isn't enough. No, 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 no. Stop that. I have money to share and money to spare. And move in that direction. So Eric Butterworth's uh, picture up there, 1916 and 2003, April 17th of 2003, made his transition. He had a powerful and productive life of empowering us with his message. The next quote that I was called to share with you is, is he said, life is lived from the inside out. It's not what happens out there, but what we think about what happens out there, which is so empowering. So then it takes us out of that victim perspective and it realizes, okay, things are happening out there. Now, what is, what is mine to know here? What is mine to do? And how do, I, how do I process this and use this for my own great good? So if it's all God, and, it's, and that's God in action too. So how do I, how do I uh, what becomes my relationship with that? The next slide, he said, fundamentalists believe Jesus was God. And I always tell people, of course Jesus was God, but we all are which I'm talking to my fundamentalist friends, and they don't like that. We all are. Listen, wait a minute. But it's true that fundamentalists believe Jesus was God becoming man. I believe that Jesus was man becoming God. And so this body of work at its core teaches that all of us have this, this capacity to embody the Christ. 
When you, reach, when you read the, the Gospel of Paul, if you go to the Christian Bible, Paul was the first person to embody the Christ consciousness, and that's what he wrote from. And that's why it was, it's so rich and it's at so many levels of consciousness. But so we see it, and Paul led the way. He was the first person to write about the Christ consciousness without ever having met the, the prophet, the teacher. The next slide is go within in a time of silence to get renewed awareness of God as your resource. And then go about your business affairs in a strong consciousness of the omnipresence of substance. So in other words, all of us need an opportunity for reflection, for meditation, for some inner work to reconnect with that divine presence. And we all connect in various ways. You know, your work can be that pathway. For some it is meditation. For some it is, is something not quite so formal. But, but all of us need to be able to pull back in and have a, a, a point of reflection and a point of connection with spirit. And so part of my, my um, intention with us coming together is that to build that through the music and through the message that it becomes a place where at times perhaps you even stop listening to me, God forbid, and you have your own relationship and you start to listen to yourself in a deeper way. So it's always, I'm always mindful of the, the consciousness upon the words and what is being, we're being called to. But it's such a beautiful uh, perspective. It's such a beautiful practice. Within, uh, next slide is within you is a, a limitless, unborn potential of creativity and substance. A lot of words up there. That can be your greatest opportunity to give birth to it. Thus, if you will, the tragedy can become a blessing. And the disadvantage can become an advantage. The failure can become an opportunity. And the disappointment can become his appointment. Of course, he's using the his in terms of the masculine to represent divine. But he wrote at a time, and the unity movement was about 50 years out before Holmes, so there was a lot of the male, and Dr. Holmes did the same thing, but it is really the infinite, the male-female presence. And so in other words, once again, as we look out in the world, we have disappointment, and we have things that happen. They all have the gift in them, but it's our, it's our opportunity to look and how it's shaping us. How when the disappointment or the heartbreak shows up, how has it shaped me? How has it altered my trajectory? How has it helped me mature and deepen in my relationship? And that's the beauty of it. You know, I'm so grateful for this, this work that I've been called to. Um, and what I know is that I was sharing with, with my, uh, my wife, Laura, this week that, you know, every piece of it helped shape me. Every piece that shows up helps shape me. And I just said, it's, it's remarkable to look back over my life and realize, wow, I needed to go through that so I have this perspective. I needed to go through this disappointment or failure or heartbreak to have this. And they weren't all negative. They weren't all horrible. Some of them were great. Some of them were joyful. But when you look at the totality of your life, it's like, wow, to be able to have the perspective to look back and say, wow, it's almost like this was planned at some, some level. And, and so it's that, it's that and, and for me, that is the spiritual practice to take the responsibility and, have, and to, to gather the wisdom and the insight so that in this moment, perhaps a new decision or a new possibility exists. You know, I was reflecting as I was doing this work, my dad came to mind. And, you know, my dad was an interesting character. Um, you know, his faith tradition was that you, you have as many children as you possibly can. That's one of the great ways to honor God. And so he did. He and my mom had 11 kids. That was their dream. We're going to have as many kids as we possibly can. After about, I was number five. After about seven, I said, how many more kids are we going to have? It's getting crowded in here. Because we lived in a one-bedroom house, and it was, 
not really. But the kids' amount was true. But there were people everywhere. You know, talk about a moment alone. It didn't happen when I was growing up. And like I've said many times, when you have seven sisters, you have seven moms that share everything that you do with everybody. <laughs> Which I guess was their job, now that I look back at it. If I didn't have all that supervision, I probably wouldn't be with you today. But anyway, but, but my, you know, my dad, uh, you know, and, and of course it was a tradition, which, and I'm so grateful to have that, that in my, my, my past, but it was a tradition that said that all of us are born with original sin. Wow, what a gift to have as a kid, huh? <laughs> that you are fundamentally flawed. But God loves you. It's a loving God. God wants nothing but the best for you. But if you mess up one time, if you miss church on a Sunday, you're going to burn in hell forever. Ooh, okay. Do I have to stay through the whole thing? Can I leave just before the collection? Golly, that was confusing. And he would, and, and my dad played baseball until he was like 43 years old, till his legs couldn't carry him anymore. He played minor league baseball. He played in the San Francisco Giants uh, farm system. He was, played baseball in Winnipeg, as a matter of fact, in the summertime. And then the uh, Second World War broke out, and when he came back from the war, his dad said, okay, your baseball days are over. But he still played amateur baseball in the community until he <laughs> couldn't run fast enough anymore. And so when he wasn't doing baseball, then he got himself on the school board, and he was the mayor of the town for a while, and he was always on the city council, and then he was involved with the... Uh, Volunteer Fire Department, um, we lived kind of in uh, Green Acres, remember Green Acres where Floyd would just keep putting hats on, that was my dad. And, but, but basically my dad would do anything and everything that would keep him out of the family environment and away from us. <laughs> I just, that was it, that was his practice. Yeah, 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 I'll, I'll bring home the bacon, I'm just not going to hang out with you to eat any of the bacon. And he was tripwired for rage, my dad. He was not a happy man. It was just below the surface all the time. You never know when he was going to explode. So we learned how to tiptoe around him and all that stuff. And, and, his, and, and what, what I know about it is, is that he, he, he gave us everything he had, as did my mom. You know, they give you everything they got. Because he didn't, you know, what he got, he was offering. And he didn't have a lot of space and time in his life because he didn't allow it. But he didn't even think of him there was another way to be. And so part of that legacy is, is, is his gift created openings and awarenesses in my life so that I could choose to uh, perpetuate that tradition and that way of thinking and being, or I could choose in new ways and find new ways of being. And so that took some unraveling and some inquiry, a lot of forgiveness work. Man, if you've got, if you got family issues, I mean, forgiving moms and dads is not about their behavior. It's just freeing ourselves energetically to say, wow. They did the best they could, you know, because they want the best for us. And I think they were super motivated because they knew that I was born in original sin and they were praying for me all the time. But whatever the motivation was, it was all sincere and it was all, it was all an expression of love. But, you know, to, to understand that, that when, when tragedy be, can become a blessing, the disadvantage can become an advantage, the failure can become an opportunity, and the disappointment can become his appointment. And all of a sudden, we move into co-creation with spirit. It's a beautiful thing. It's very, very empowering. So the next slide is a picture of a lady. That's Mary Oliver. She's one of my favorite poets of all time. She's still around. She's written some amazing, great stuff. 
And I wanted to share this poem with you because I think it reflects so beautifully what Dr. Butterworth and Dr. Holmes were talking about and all the great metaphysical teachers and all the wonderful banners that we have on the wall. So when you walk in here, the reason we have the banners is so when you walk in, you kind of get an idea of how we resonate, how we roll, you know? These are some of our heroes that have helped change the world and shape consciousness. And we celebrate that because it takes courage to stand up and talk about this stuff. It takes courage to stand up and, and, and talk about new thought principles. I'm, so, I'm in so, such awe of Eric Butterworth to have the courage at the time he came along. You know, because there are people that are, are, are certain about the way it's got to be. There are, there are communities, faith communities, that if you don't believe exactly what they believe, you're doomed. And to be able to stand and say, you know, that doesn't represent me. But I thank you for sharing. Because this is what's true for me. It takes courage to do that. But Mary Oliver wrote this, and it's called Mysteries, Yes. She said, truly, we live with mysteries too marvelous to be understood. So we we aren't required to understand it all. But so many people jump from certainty to certainty, to belief to belief, and belief can become our limitation. How grass can be nourishing in the mouths of lambs. Isn't that fascinating? I mean, as a kid, I remember going out and having a big handful of green grass and chewing on it for a while and spitting it out and saying, this is not enjoyable. I don't think this is going to sustain me. But, I mean, it's, it's nourishing to those animals, to the cows and the, and the, the, the lambs, to the, you know, so many grazing animals. How rivers and stones are forever in um, alliance with gravity while we ourselves dream of rising. How two hands touch and the bonds will never be broken. Isn't that a beautiful thing? That we can just, we can have a relationship where we connect and we're, and we're connected forever. Those, those amazing moments, you know, the way for me that I interpret my relationship with my significant other, with my beautiful wife, is that that's an opportunity for me to be in relationship with God, but the totality of God I can't comprehend, and I, I can manage this, I can't manage that. But I realize that for me, it's an opportunity. It, it moves me into a sacred space in the relationship. And, and, in, you know, and what's grown in me is just such a joy of, of being in the relationship and being of service to my partner. It's just like, this is so great. And, and, you know, and, and that keeps shifting and changing and deepening, but it's just such a gift to me. Uh, and, and I love that. I love that. And that opened up for me as a result of the work I've done in, in doing my own spiritual practice and doing my own dissolving and releasing and forgiveness and embracing. And it's just that the wonders and the joys continue. How, how two hands touch and the bonds will never be broken. How people come from the delight or the scars of damage to the comfort of a poem. You know, we can, we can access beautiful poetry. Poetry is the language of the divine. Let me keep, I love this, my favorite line, let me keep my distance away from those who think they have all the answers. Hmm. That can be just such an interesting conversation, can it? I mean, I've watched ministers do it. When you set yourself up as the answer man or the answer lady, then people come to you all the time for what? Answers, yeah. Man, I'm so glad I didn't fall into that trap. That's a hole you can step into that... Because, that, you know, the problem with that is then you give your advice and it doesn't work for them. Uh-oh. 
Yep, I'm writing a new song called The Answer Man I'll be singing here in a couple of weeks. It's based on the same rhythm as the Candy Man. Remember the Candy Man song? Yeah. (laughs) The Answer Man, the Answer Man can. Let me keep my distance always from those who think they have all the answers. Because that's just, see, you know, it is not done unto us as we want or we desire. It is done unto us as we believe. And, and beliefs are powerful. I mean, we're, we want to activate faith. You want to, you know, you want to stand and you want to stand with spirit and know that something powerful is happening, that you're in such a divine relationship that you stand, you've activated faith, you've turned on the switch. But when you're stuck in a belief, when you're stuck in your certitude, that nothing new can show up. I know life sucks, I'm positive. Wow, that's a great belief, good for you. Get back to me on how that's working for you. Or you're messed up. You should be doing what I do. Oh, man, there's a challenge, huh? Being somebody else. What I love about belief is that, that we, we're never stuck unless we allow ourselves to be stuck. And it's, it's, it's growing and growing and, 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 and maturing and deepening in the relationship so that what I know, my understanding is the mystery of it is God is alive in my life. When God's alive in my life, then I know the next knowing and the next idea and the next possibility shows up for me. So I believe that and I welcome that, but, it, there's, but it, there's an openness to it. Holmes used to say, be open at the top, and I think this is exactly what he was talking about. Don't get so smart and wrapped up in all your beliefs that nothing new can show up. I mean, and, and, use, and Butterworth talks about it. It's, I'm going to read you a, a, a section here that I think is so apropos to what Butterworth's talking about. But let me keep my distance always from those who think they have the answers. And for myself as all, where am I entrenched? Let me keep company always with those who say, look, 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 look. I'm so happy I don't live in Buffalo, New York right now. Look. And they laugh in astonishment. You know, what'd they get? Nine feet of snow in two days? That's a lot of snow. They look and laugh in astonishment and bow their heads. Ah, oh, I love that. Because it's 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 understanding that there's a, a wonder and a power and a force for good that is beyond anything we can comprehend. And the more that we can dip our toe into it and live from that, and just then the wonders can show up. Then there's a space for, for newness to arrive. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. The next slide is a picture of a soup kitchen, and I was inspired by this just because we just did the mustard seed, and it's such a, such a joy. Your life is God's gift to you from Eric Butterworth, and what you do with it is your gift to God. But it's not a God up there. It's the God in front of us. It's the wonders as I look out at this, this audience and the beautiful faces that the divine that lives within you. So what, what the infinite is telling me is the way that I get to, to express this is by, by being in high relationship with one another. To be in gratitude and forgiveness and to embrace and all of the wonderful things that are possible. I have this, uh, it's this wonderful, wonderful book. It's my Bible right now I'm reading. It's called What We May Be by Piero Ferrucci. And it's based on the work of uh, Roberto Assagioli. And Assagioli developed a, a psychological um, body of work called psychosynthesis. He was a contemporary of Freud and of, of Carl Jung. And he speaks in here about love and will that I think is so apropos because, man, I'm pulling for the love but we also have a part to play with our wills. And it's not willpower, but this is so significant around this. And I think it ties into what Butterworth's saying. It's not about, oh man, God is just so beautiful and wonderful and it's all love. Because when we stand in that, nothing happens. 
It'd be like the, all the snow getting dumped in Buffalo and then everybody says, you know what? This is a gift from God and we just got to stay home till it melts. Some, we'll see y'all in spring. Let's get food to people that aren't coming out of their houses because we don't want to disturb what God brought us. No, there are people and there's, there's strategizing and there's services and they, they bring in the trucks and they move the snow. And that requires the will. That requires the vision and the possibility. You say, okay, snow came. Let's How do we live with this? We know that here. Love and will are commonly polarities in many people's lives. We think it's one or the other, in other words. They're opposites. They're not. Love often means tenderness, softness, inclusiveness. Does it not? And will implies toughness, power, and one-pointedness. Love makes one yielding. And will gives firmness and helps an individual to, make, to take straight aim and break through all the obstacles in approaching the goal. Even to the point sometimes of walking over others to get where one wants to go. Love instead makes people less interested in goals and more open to being touched by feelings, relationships, and empathy. The love-will polarity can often be seen in the dilemma facing parents and educators. Choosing between being strict versus giving full freedom to the desires of children and sometimes even to their whims. You can find a, a similar dilemma in a court of law, the alternative between impersonal adherence to the law and compassionate identification with the case at hand, the spirit of the law versus the letter of the law, in other words. A similar, similar polarity is also at work in psychotherapy, the contraposition between accepting persons as they are and giving only atten positive attention and empathy, or instead crushing through their defenses and shaking them out of their neurotic grooves. Each side, Asagioli said, is incomplete. It's not one or the other. Love entirely devoid of will may be inconclusive and weak. Many loving people tend to be shy, lazy, or too lenient, however nice they may be. And conversely, will without love can be ruthless. It can lead to harshness and destructiveness to the pursuit of power for its own sake and isolation. I believe we can agree with Asagioli's simple statement that one of our most urgent tasks is for the loving to be stronger and for the strong to be more loving. And I love that. It's a mosaic. You know, when I talk about vision of possibility as spiritual leader of this community, I see what the, the possibilities are. I see what the potential is. And I just got back from that training a couple weeks ago and it reinforced for me so much of what I know and sometimes I don't act upon because it doesn't look loving. And so it's like, well, I don't want to sacrifice a relationship because you, you want to make sure everybody loves you, which is weakness. And it's like, but, but imparting a vision that, that, that is so rich and wonderful because I see our opportunity as a community and I see what's possible. And I have to tell you that in my prayer work, when I'm on my knees in, in relationship with my higher power, I, I know that what is alive in me is what I'm called to, to move into. And so that requires me to clean up my act in areas where I'm, I'm abdicating, where I'm, t I'm too soft and too tender around what I'm being called to do. I had a wonderful conversation with a young couple yesterday. We were talking about leadership, and the young man was talking about his passion and commitment to leadership. And so much of what he was saying was exactly what we'd heard when we were in uh, Houston doing this training around uh, uh, community. And the line that was a treasure for me, I would have paid $1,000 to hear this yesterday. He said... In leadership, you're not going to take everybody. You'd rather run with 10 than drag 100. And it only takes a small group of committed individuals to make a difference. And I thought, oh, it's so true. When you hear wisdom, you just, you know, I light up. It's like, oh, my gosh. I'd rather run with 10 than see, to wait for the 100 to get on board. It's like, you don't have to wait. 
You know, they'll, they'll come along, but the early adapters, you want to you run, you want to have a vision that is so compelling, it's like, man, we're here to be of service to this possibility, what's happening? And I love that. I just thought, wow, what a gift. What a gift. So I thank you for that. I, was, I came upon a beautiful book when I was coming back from this conference a couple weeks ago, and I bought it because I kept looking at it saying, I don't know, I don't know if I want to read that. What do I want to read that for? And, it's like, and every time I go back to the bookstore, I sort of jump off the shelf. So it's a book by Eben Alexander, and this is a picture of him. He's the guy that wrote Map of Heaven. He had the uh, uh, afterlife experience, he, or uh, near-death experience, came back and wrote the book Proof of Heaven. He was a neuroscientist, and it changed everything for him. So a medical doctor had the meningitis, put him into a coma uh, for a period of time and had this experience, wrote about it. He wrote a new book called The Map of Heaven because as a result of that book, people have written him letters about their own experiences. And I want to share, share one of those with you today as I conclude. But what Eben said is the current understanding of the mind, the current understanding of the mind now lies broken at our feet. You know, the things that we thought were certain, the beliefs that we had about what the mind is and what's possible and, you know, what... It's all at our feet, which is perfect. It's perfect, isn't it? There's part of the mystery. What wants to happen here? Just when we think we got it knocked. Mm, that's not true anymore. For what, he says, for what happened to me destroyed it. And I intend to spend the rest of my life investigating the true nature of consciousness and making the fact that we are more, much more than our physical brains, as clear as I can both to my fellow scientists and to people at large. I'm reading this book and I'm thinking, my God, this guy plagiarized Ernest Holmes and Eric Butterworth. You know, but isn't it beautiful that, that science, Holmes said, I dream of the day, in the textbook it says, I dream of the day when science and spirituality will walk hand in hand. I love the Pope, Pope Francis. I've been saying this since I was a kid in grade school. I said, why is, why is creation and evolution in opposition to God? Because if God is the plants and God is the seasons and God is the weather and God is all the patterns and the evolution of the planet and the evolution of consciousness, wouldn't it not make sense? But, but many people have this fantasy in their heads that, well, God came along and said, let there be light. And all of a sudden, he was, he was planting daisies and he was making parks and sidewalks and you know, all this. Didn't happen that way. God can only do for us what God can do through us because we are it. See, that's the, what I love about our teaching is healing the separation. We're the it. We're the phalange of light. It's beautiful. Martin singing his songs. Eben writing his books. Me shoveling snow. It's all God. So I want to share a story with you. And I brought Kleenex this time because I didn't do this well the first uh, time through. And, and it just about put me over. I'm telling you. It was exhausting. But this is a story. Uh, uh, there's a picture. Next slide. There's Roger Ebert. And I, I picked the picture, you know, I, I think many of us saw him after he had this, his cancer in the throat and he lost his voice box and everything else. But this is a letter that this woman, that his wife wrote to uh, even Alexander after she read Proof of Heaven. And it's a story of him making his transition. And I'm going to find it again. Here it is. Thanks. On April 4th, Roger was strong enough again for me to take him back home. He'd been in the hospital. My daughter and I went to pick him up. When we got there, the nurses were helping him get dressed. He was sitting on his bed, and he looked really happy to be going home. He was smiling. He was sitting almost like Buddha. And then he just put his head down. We thought he was meditating and maybe reflecting on his experiences, grateful to be going home. 
I didn't remember who noticed first, who checked his pulse. In the beginning, of course, I, I, I totally freaked out. There was some kind of code thing, and they brought machines in. I was stunned. But as we realized he was transitioning out of this world and into the next, everything, all of us just went calm. They turned off the machines, and the room was so peaceful. I put it on his music that he liked. He liked Dave Brubeck. We sat there on the bed together, and I whispered in his ear, I didn't want him to leave. I sat there with him for hours, just holding his hand. Roger looked beautiful. He looked really beautiful. I don't know how to describe it, but he just looked peaceful, and he, was look, and he looked young. And the one thing people might be surprised about Roger said that he didn't know if he could believe in God. He had his doubts. But towards the end, something really interesting happened. That week before Roger passed away, I would see him, and he would talk about having visited this other place. And I thought he was hallucinating. I thought they were giving him too much medication. But the day before he passed away, he wrote me a note. This is an elaborate hoax, he wrote. And I asked him, what hoax? And he was talking about this world, this place. He said it was all an illusion, and I thought he was just confused, but he was not confused. He, he wasn't visiting heaven, not the way we think of heaven. He described it as a, as a vastness that you can't even imagine. It was a place where the past, present, and future were happening all at the same time. It's hard to put it into words. I just loved him. I loved him so much. And I think I thought he was invincible. To tell you the truth, I'm still waiting for things to unfold. I have this feeling that we're not finished. Roger's not finished. To me, Roger was magic. He was just magic, and I still feel that magic. I talk to him, and he talks back. It's such a beautiful story of that that peek into the, you know, what, what, where we've come from. And it's not that, that we're all waiting to go there, but how precious this life is. And the things that can happen for us. As Butterworth talks about, the disadvantages, and the heartbreak, and the disasters that come in and visit our, our, you know, visit our lives are simply there to help transform us. They're simply there to, to fuel the will within us without losing the love. You know, it's an art to live life well, and it's an art to be loving and still to hold ourselves and others accountable, to have high standards in our lives that it's not simply just about sitting together in love without being creative and productive in our lives. And that's that balancing act. That's part of the mystery. That's part of the growth and the depth. And I just, I think it speaks so beautifully to all of our journeys to look at our lives and see where we're stuck in belief, where our beliefs are becoming our limitations, where we can shift and change in a way to be a greater expression of possibility. The last slide I want to show to you is a, 
a wonderful quote by Butterworth. I think it's so simple and so powerful. You know, we, to, to live with this is such a gift. I will do what I do better and better and better. And I will do more and more of what I do. Isn't that a simple way to live? I mean, this is what the infinite is seeking. This is why we've taken life. This is why we're informed. I will do what I do better and better and better. I feel that way. It just touches me to know that, yeah, you know, I can do better. And I commit and I, and I devote myself to doing that. And when we live in that vibration, then the things that show up that can help support the better and better and better appear. But if we're stuck in a belief or we're stuck in, a, in a, a, an emotional state, it's very difficult for the resources that allow better and better and better to show up. I'm so blessed by this opportunity to be in this community. This is an amazing community. We have amazing things that are happening here, wonderful things, and it's, it's so exciting to be part of it. You know, we, lives are transformed here, and it's not the only place, but we're, to have this teaching in our lives, to be able to put down the guilt and the shame and the self-blame and the frustration and the pointing the fingers of who, who made our life miserable and to take responsibility, to realize that I've got to, the will in me has got to come alive to move out of this. But there's a love and a grace and a beauty that will support me on my journey and to develop both capacities to love in a healthy way and to set an intention and a, and, a, and a vision and a possibility and to draw into our lives the, the resources and the people and the ideas that can help fulfill that. It's all of our opportunities. So I, I thank you so much for your continued support and your love and your will as our ushers come forward. What I invite you to do is you prepare your envelope for our offering today if that's where you are. I just want you to know that one of the most powerful things that we can do is use whatever we are doing, including sharing our financial good, as, an, as a touchstone to move us closer to spirit. So I would invite you today to, to be mindful of that. As, as you give, if you've given in the Intentional Giving program, allow that in your mind's eye to know that we are changing and transforming lives here in so many beautiful ways. We are self-supporting. And we thank you so much. We are the largest New Thought community in Canada, this denomination. And we are touching lives you cannot imagine in beautiful ways. So I thank you for your will and for your love and for your financial support and for who you are. So I bless this gift in great gratitude and a heart that is wide open. Together we say, and so it is.